0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Common Sense Finance Podcast. Anthony here on this episode, Nick and I had the pleasure of speaking with James Adler. So Nick and I know James Adler as being a professor at St. Peter's University. He's an adjunct faculty in the fine arts department at the university. However, James Adler has a pretty extensive background. He's a pianist who the Chicago Sun-Times writes, can create whatever type of music he wants at the keyboard. And a composer who writes with uncommon imagination as written by Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He has a very extensive background in the music industry. He has written a number of compositions. He has recordings with Albany Records, Capstone, Nirvana, and Ravello Records. He has a very impressive resume as a musician and as a composer. And we had a fantastic time getting to speak with him because he was able to shed some light on an industry that Nick and I really know, not know much about. He was able to talk about the economics and the business of the music industry, touch on subjects like how record deals work, how master's recordings work, the importance of owning the rights to your own music. There's a lot of business aspects in music that people just do not realize. Being a musician And being an entrepreneur, being a business person, kind of go hand in hand. And James Adler really goes into depth on that. So we really appreciate the time that he took to come on the podcast on these episodes. So we hope you learn as much on this episode as we did. So listen and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Common Sense Finance Podcast. On this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Professor James Adler. Thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: So um, before we get into the topic of the business of music, I think it would be very interesting for our listeners to get some insight into your background. You were kind of touching on that a little bit prior to recording. Would you be able to do that for our listeners?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I would just say I'm going to refer to a few little notes here. Uh, I have, let's see, this is the end of my 34th year at St. Peter's, then college, now university, in the fine arts department. Uh, teaching everything from intro to music classes, which I believe some of you know and remember, uh, intro to music. I taught sight singing for a while. Uh, I've taught a number of keyboard harmony, piano, voice, vocal production, but a, a course very close to my heart for a number of years has been a course called The Business of Music. We ran this as a tutorial initially, now independent study. And for students who are planning to go into the music business, uh, there are certain issues that come up and they should know about this in advance. And I will start by telling you when people say, oh, I went ahead and I made a recording of so-and-so's music. And it was a student who used the music of Irving Berlin. Now, Irving Berlin's company was represented by a company called Really Useful Music, Andrew Lloyd Weber's company. And the Urban Berlin Estate had two little, lovely little old ladies sitting on the side of the Rogers and Hammerstein library desk because RNH was my publisher for theater and concert works then, and also for this. And I remember that lawyer coming out and saying, oh, uh, somebody took the music and they didn't pay for it. And they think they can record it. And I remember his language. He said, we're going after them, them." I said, them." He said, yeah. (laughs) So I'm in the business of trying to promote music and get it recorded and get it out there. But sometimes these publishers, especially when they're very high-powered and and well-financed, super well-financed, go after the innocent little person. I heard a story about uh, if this is true. And again, this is apocryphal. Uh, Richard Rogers, or Rogers and Hammerstein, and people, little children, would write and say, "Dear Mister, uh, dear Mister Rogers, Richard Rogers, uh, we performed your beautiful show, name whatever show you like, whether it's uh, <laughs> just so many to choose from, but we did Oklahoma, and we had so much fun doing this, and." In the second act, we moved this song to the front and we did the other and moved it around. I thought, oh, I see a train wreck coming. And Mr. Rogers would write a beautiful response. Thank you. And I'm so proud of your school and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And the next thing you know, they're hearing from the lawyer with a cease and desist that you do the show as written or we're pulling those rights. So, I mean, but, but, too much information was not a good thing in this case. Uh, I've had people come to me and want to rearrange music. uh, Something, an artist took something from my requiem and she made a case she wanted to perform it XYZ way. And I said, go ahead with my blessings. Now I own the copyright. So I have the right to say, go ahead and do this. But my late attorney, Harold Ornstein, Harold, was a case in point. If he didn't like your attitude, he would tell you off. I'd say in a loving way, but it wasn't always so loving. But he also represented Frank Lesser. Do you remember the composer, Broadway composer, Uh, Guys and Dolls, the musical? Uh, Frank Lesser was an incredible life voice and Harold was his attorney. And I remember at lunch, he invited us up uh, for a lunch visit. And I said, uh, my publisher wants the copyright for this and he asked how long did you put i said i put about a year and a half it's been about two years with orchestration and i don't know that i want to give that up what do you think he said my boy i'm going to tell you the golden rule the golden rule is he or she who has the gold rules the copyright is gold the copyright holder is the one who controls the master recording the synchronization rights but we have limits that we can say, hold off the granting of the right of the first recording. We have the right to grant you the first recording. But once, let's say Nicholas, uh, do you like Nicholas or Nick? Which Either way, record.
2: Nick, if you want. Sure. Nick,
1: mm-hmm. Whichever, so uh, once you get the synchronization license, let's say you recorded it, mm-hmm. and Anthony comes and said, I want to use it on my show. I cannot stop you from doing it because that would be a, retra- a, a restraint of trade. Mm-hmm. However, I would tell you, go to the Harry Fox Agency, HFA, and you tell them how many copies you're going to produce, mm-hmm. and the market and whatever, and then they grant you that mechanical license. Now, if you want to use it for motion picture other functions, then you're talking about a sync license. Uh, I just had, uh, and I was kind of surprised, because the... Um, my first publication is called Songs of Innocence and Experience. It's William Blake. Remember, Tiger, Tiger Burning Bright and Little Lamb. So I heard from the representatives of a big horse, and they say, We found you. Not hard to find. Just Google my name. It's all over. Anyway, we found you. And uh, what would it take for us to be able to record and use this for a broadcast? So. That's the published work. I contacted the head of heiress to music, and I asked him, and I said, Carl, I'm in the business of trying to make things happen, not stop them. He said, so am I. And he said, are you willing to forego royalty? I said, absolutely. This is the age of COVID. Do what we can to get it out there. So he wrote and he said, let me write the letter. And he wrote a letter to them, copied me. And it said, since Mr. Adler is foregoing the rights, we give you permission to use this. And we gave them a sync license. They're without charge. Now, I've heard of companies saying, well, we want $150 for it. But in the big scheme of life, you have a happy chorus, hopefully a great performance, and they say, oh, what else have you gotten? They come back to you for more business. That's how the business works, it's economics. And they don't teach this at a college or university. That you don't bite the hand that's feeding you. If I, I've had choruses that wanna do my music, they have a very low budget. And I said, I have an idea. I'll provide the music. Contact my publishers, Say they'll give me my, art, my author's rates, which is usually 40% of retail. I said, ship it to them. And they said, uh, will you pay the shipping costs? I'd say, okay, I'll pay the shipping costs or since I'm donating this and paying for this, maybe instead of being mean-spirited, you could go ahead and do this and help them out too. They said, they're not in to be nice business, but the idea is to get your product out there, just to get it out there. So sync license versus mechanical, they're different animals. But if you're going to take something and use it in different media or put it on video, then you need a synchronization. But you also need the mechanical. You go to the copyright owner. And P.S. I did not relinquish the copyright for that. I granted Brothers Warner. I'm sorry if it sounds like a little bit of hate in there. I shouldn't, but that was a very, very happy, like, hooray. (laughs) Those works are now with Alfred Music, so it's a much happier, for me, a happier situation. But um, I tell people, well madonna didn't love him either so there uh you um there's a synchronization mechanical license but i own this even though the bottom says here let's see if susan put this on here um what i'm talking about for copyright well somewhere on the back here there is a p and a c the p is for the sr the sound recording that's the physical grooves but the music is also there so i always recommend a p and a c to the people who are going in the business that if you're wanting to market your music, just protect yourself and make sure there are periods at the end. Copyright PC, the year, your name, period. All rights reserved, period. Uh, Because in certain countries, if it's incomplete, next thing you know, they're ripping off your copies and you're you're getting zero royalty. Uh, And I advise people to be very careful about this. My first film score. I signed something that I have no idea what I signed. It won an international festival. It played on PBS. I've gotten zero income. I went to the concert at ASCAP. I sat with her. She looked at me and said, what the hell did you, she didn't say hell, but she said, what did you sign? She said, there's no track, there's no way to trace this. So I signed something really, really wonderful for a a small Hollywood-based studio, filmmaker. So I would tell people before you sign something, get a lawyer to look at it, and if you don't have a lawyer, they're volunteer lawyers for the arts, or in some cases I've had students come back to me, I charge them a very nominal fee, like 35 bucks, and say, let me review that contract before you sign a deal with so-and-so. because I said, in some cases, just for free, just, it depends. If they insist, I said, you know, if you're paying this, this is the first lesson, that will be a deduction, because you're getting professional development. Uh, so the category, as you know, the categories for this. So the background, my background is I'm a concert pianist, composer. Uh, I'm not going to read my reviews. I'll let you read the reviews if you want, because I remember a conductor, I handed him uh, He's gone now. Mitch Miller used to have a TV series and I brought him my resume. He said, why are you giving me this? I said, if you want to know anything about me. And he said, go to the piano and play. That's all I need to know. But he said, besides, you're not going to give me your bad reviews. You're going to put your good reviews. I said, oh, no, I can quote you my bad reviews, too, if you want. I said, I remember those. (laughs) Makes you stronger. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) kill you, makes you stronger. But... um, uh, made my debut when I started piano at 10, made my debut at age 13, won my first contest at 13, won the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Young Artist Award, I was 16, but due to delay I was close to 18, 17 and a half when I played with them, and uh, then came to Philadelphia for my training at Courage Institute of Music. Liked it so much, stayed there. They invited me into a master's program. They literally created it. They only, it was very small at the time. And I mastered music and uh, got to work with absolute master teachers, then moved to New York. And my first recording only happened in 2002. And that was Memento Mori and H Requiem. Uh, and I remember a critic writing, he says, do you only write sad songs? Song? I said, well, you got me, though. There is some solo singing. I said, we prefer to call it a concert work, a piece, whatever. But you want to call it a song, go ahead. Uh, But uh, my piano concerto is out there. And a lot of triangle. A friend of mine who says it's like a lot of triangle, a lot of noise. I said, well, it was originally written for the BBC for an out-of-doors. So, yeah, I put a lot of jangles and sounds to compete with birds and planes flying over. Uh, so uh, that essentially is my background. I've been at St. Peter's Essay since 1987. Uh, my works can be heard on Albany Records, my main house, I call it, uh, on the Palmer Recordings, Capstone Records, Nibona, uh Ravello Records, uh, member of uh, Reading Fine Arts, and I'm a National Arts Associate in the Sigma Alpha Iota. Actually, it's International Music Fraternity. And uh, I was selected as a member of their Composers Bureau in 2018 and 2017, even though I'm not old enough, but I guess I am. Uh, you remember the who's who in music, the who's who in anything, the marquee? Uh, I received in 2017, the Marquee Lifetime Achievement Award. And I said, well, I started when I was Six. (laughs) So it hangs on the wall. But if you asked me about that, I would say, can I talk about the projects I'm doing next year and the courses I wanna teach and I wanna build this business of music. Some schools, they don't even teach the students how to bow. I remember I had a friend, I did a concert and I was bowing very quickly. And when you do that, you're cutting off your applause. Hold two, three, let them respond. Respond the the tricks of the trade to do that. Uh, I remember a famous pianist, we later became friends. She performed in Chicago. One of my first recitals, there was around eighteen or nineteen. Saw her, and she wore a, a, a gown where the sleeve, where she had a strap, and it kept coming down as she's playing. I thought, oh God, this is it going to strangle her, or whatever? I later told her, Susan. She says, oh that dress. I said why would you do that <laughs> something little i mean come on wardrobe wardrobe uh, the marketing aspect if you're before a college or university crowd would i wear a jacket and tie depends when i performed in the chapel i usually wear a sport coat and that but there are other times if it's a more casual thing i would put on a um this, a dressy shirt with a jacket because you want to put your audience at ease. They don't teach these things and they should be teaching them. You need to know your audience and how to market it. So, the marketing of music is more than just that. And again, I'm going to repeat that rule the golden rule. He or she who has the goals, the copyright rules, because that controls the master recording, synchronization rights. But once you grant the license to somebody, usually if you're a composer yourself and performer, uh, I wrote a piece for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the night that she died, it's called "For Notorious. We give a pretty obnoxious dissent. So I put dissonance into the music and I talk about it. But as I said, at a recent concert, why don't I play it for you? And then you'll hear it for yourself. So uh, the ways of marketing that, and I have somebody who said, oh, can I get the rights to this? And I said, sure. After I record and professionally release it, and then I will send you the music because I want to control those rights from the beginning. Uh, and as far as currency, somebody, I, this is so confusing to me. Do you know about these? Uh, let me find this for you you know about NFT?
0: Uh, very little, very little.
1: Maybe you can explain a little bit. There's an artist called Barry Do you know about her? Um, I'm, no, I'm not familiar. She released a single and she's doing the payment is by. She's the first, um, first artist to auction master recording rights in perpetuity for her new song by using this technique. So people are thinking outside the box. I would tell young beginning, creating a beat, creating music, whatever, that make sure you hold that copyright. And if you a record company comes to you and they want to do a buyout, you better lawyer up real fast because sometimes you can sign an agreement that says, oh, your next two or three projects go to them too. And let's say you get a better deal and you say, oh, no, I can't. And a judge is just gonna look and say, this is what you signed, that's that. I've heard of those cases. So people are doing their own thing. They're using this, it's not exactly like Bitcoin uh, currency, but it's, it's very, very close to this. it has to do with rights and mechanicals and controlling it, and she's making a pile of money. Uh, the singles have racked up 350,000 streams over platforms with 1 million plus monthly listeners. This is a very impressive new form that needs to be investigated. The other is, you can go to a record label that's gonna promise you that they will do their best to market it. They will do this, but for the most part, they're relying upon, in so many cases, it used to be iTunes and Apple Music, and They use their platform. So their representative, their digital guys, as they're called, will say, oh, you sold 10 copies. And I can say, well, I personally know between students and family and friends that they're probably with 30 or 40. But the record label gets the report that says 10. And that's what they go by. And I would say then rather than in the beginning, if you don't need to go with a big label or a small label, you can market it yourself. You go to a company called CD Baby and you pay a certain fee and they give you the little code that you need. You know, I'm holding up, but you can see the, the barcode and you hit your wagon to that and you sell on Amazon and you go to Spotify and you get it all over these different platforms. Uh, I don't think, unless you sell volumes like in the classical field certainly, they're pennies and dollars. They're not these, you know, Madonna bucks or the uh, Beyonce or uh, Jay-Z by any means. But uh, you've got to get it out there to different platforms. So I would advise them to consider a CD baby route. There are other companies too that do this and to market it that way to be able to get music or product just to call it on the market. And then those reports from iTunes and, and the, the digital folks, they come to you. So you actually have a, have a much better idea what's going on. Because I'm not saying the record companies are dishonest, they're not, but they are relying upon the reports of the others. And for me, I'd like to have a look at what the numbers actually are for uh, for that to be able to to base on. It's very helpful. Then you know the next kind of product you want to bring out there. See what I mean? So the more questions.
0: You pretty much yeah. made, uh, a bunch of the questions that we had. Uh, like. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think it's interesting that you mentioned, though, how you know, music students they don't really get taught a lot of these skills outside of music like that the actual like art of music that pertains to the industry i think that's kind of present with a lot of positions like you know something that's like textbook but you you don't really have those uh tangible skills that are necessary to market yourself to make yourself stand out in any kind of work environment uh
1: the the book that i recommend again is uh, let me see if i can find it here very fast for you um you no, because I was, I was using it this year for uh, one of my private students and it's buried beneath many, many books here. But, oh, here it is. Here it is. It. This is an older edition, but essentially all you need to know about the music business by Donald Passman, Donald S. Passman, Simon & Schuster. And the topics that they will cover, that he, he's an entertainment lawyer, mainly on the, I'm gathering on the pop and rock side, because his classical chapter is three pages. (laughs) So I want to say, Donald, I have written them. I said, we need your help too. How to pick your team, personal managers, business managers, attorneys, agents, record deals, uh, advances in recruitment. And this is where people really get messed up on it. Real life numbers, uh, major deal points like delivery, who controls the, composi- the compositions, the copyright holder. Producer and mixer deals, advanced royalty, distribution, sound scan, these various prices, DVD and no, nobody uses that now. Digital, dart performances, webcasting, uh, advanced demo negotiation. If they say, we believe we like your first product, we'll come up with X, Y, Z. Uh, they're not just handing you money because they say, gee, we really like you and whatever, they're handing you money to produce a product. But that's an advance against royalties. And I've always said, I try and any deal when I first signed with Chapel Music before they became Rinald Chapel, they said, are you looking for money up front? I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm looking to sign with you and what we earn so that I start seeing And Otherwise, if they give you, it's too large an advance, it can take you forever to, to sometimes recoup that. So I think initially I like the record label, I would want to label or a publisher, uh, a well-heeled publisher can do this too, to be able to fund a project. Uh, songwriting deals, okay. What about, here's a question that I always find fascinating. I don't understand it all the time, but let's say you, you've got a rock group, okay? You've got five people and you're going on the road and you get your first big gig and the contract comes in. And then let's say your drummer gets very lonely because his girlfriend's back home and he leaves. What do you do then? Uh,
2: Off the team.
1: (laughs) Well, if you're a member of Local 802 here in New York, and I remember when we did a recording with Union you musicians. I'm a Union Musician myself, but um, they usually provide a substitute. So you could be looking into an orchestra and saying, whoa, nice to meet you. And you had no idea they were there. They come and they nail the part. So the deal is it depends on what's written on the contract, that if they can't find somebody to come in and it says these four and they na- five people, basically they're screwed. So there's gotta be a clause in there that as a, a substitution of likability, there's, there's wording for this, that a good manager knows how to do this, but that happens, that happens all the time uh, in the business. So uh, you've gotta cover those kind of deals. In that case, I say, get yourself an attorney who if he's an attorney or she's an attorney and an agent, you're gonna pay a lot of bucks, but they're worth their weight in proverbial gold because they could save you a big headache. An Advance against royalties, the advance they say, oh, I got this money to produce this record. So, okay, so XYZ is gonna come up with $60,000 for me to come up with a master recording. That means you're probably not using live musicians for uh, uh, acoustic because you've got unions involved and pension and welfare and things that people don't think about. Uh, but what you're going to do is you're going to think about uh, how can we keep the cost low? So a lot of stuff today, a lot of product uses synthesizers. So you're paying for two or three keyboard. But what about you're going in a recording studio? Who's going to pay for the cartridge of some of this? You see what I mean? Might as well hire a Harpist as long as you're paying for a, a station wagon. My feelings, you might as well go ahead and pay for them. Um, so these are considerations before you go, before you sign a deal. Uh, And I have known students who have gotten deals, uh, St. Peter's, and I generally have uh, tried to take a look at the contract and advise them and then say, uh, do me a favor, I'm gonna call David Grossberg, He passed away, but he was my angel. A very. I've never met an entertainment lawyer who's quiet and polite, and just David is wonderful. But David Grossberg would have a look at this, and I said, "Could you?" Uh, they said, "Sure." Send him my way. And I had one lady complain. She said, "He's charging me a lot of money." I said, "You have somebody who wants to take away the rights of your son, your late son's writing. I would think it's worth your protecting that that you're going to hold on to those rights. Otherwise, you lose them. And you don't know if that." Other person signing you is not signing you to keep you off the market because they have a similar artist that they're trying to promote. And then we come up with that word again, restraint of trade. And I have gone to court for that. (laughs) Want it. (laughs) Party Pound Musical. They try to keep it off the market. I said, this is my music. Produced the contract. I had the right to copyright that the arrangements, even though legally an arrangement still goes to the other. But it, I got it thrown out. So, um, but I uh, generally I tell people to be very careful what you sign. And uh, marketing is a very important part of this business. What about publicity? Okay, you, you, you've come up with a perfect beat and you wanna market this. Who are you gonna tell? Initially, I'm gonna tell you use social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just remind them on Twitter. Remember, be careful what you tweet because it can say you can delete it, but it doesn't get deleted. It's out there forever. So buyer beware, be very careful. (laughs) I'm very careful what I put out there. Uh, Usually ask somebody to read through it before I put it out there for that reason, so I don't get in trouble. Uh, But uh, use the social media platforms. And Spotify, very important to this day. Apple Music, I don't have to tell you, it kind of rules the uh, land. You've got Naxos, a huge distributor. And uh, if you can hold the copyright, if you can hold the copyright, try to do so. Or you can license it. If you have a publisher saying, I can do this and bring you to the next steps of your career, then you give them a limited period. You have a limited option. I would generally say three years. It takes a while to get something off the ground. Uh, but be careful. Some of these labels will put in there that, well, we, you agree to give us the next two, the, the right of refusal for the next two pieces, the uh, masters that you come up with. And let's say it wasn't a happy musical marriage to start with. Well, you're going to be looking across at <laughs> them proverbially across that breakfast dining room table <laughs> forever and ever. Be careful what you sign folks. That's what I'm going to tell you. If you believe in something, try to hang on to that copyright. But again, there are some publishers that want that. And if they can bring you to the next level, th- then consider that. But have somebody, even if it is not, you're not going to an entertainment lawyer if you uh, have a professor or two in the business. Like my uh, student who's at Juilliard has very good people there. And uh, I've worked with some of them, so I know. And um, that's the way to go about it. That's the way to go about this crazy business called music.
2: And uh, so, so, so picking back of you know, what you said, you know, one of our questions that we wanted to ask you was, you know, how would someone be able to start a career in music? And the question that I have is before they even start their career while they're in school, um, would you recommend, or you know, would you see the likelihood of this happening, where the arts department and the law or business law departments of schools collaborating to make an art slash music contracts course, where they learn contracts?
1: Uh, I, I I have offered with my department chairman, the Dr. Beauchard in past, the business of music as a course. Uh, I believe they also, they might have spoken, I'm not sure if they spoke to the business side of it. I know that uh, Professor Ruvolo is also, he's a singer, I've heard him sing at concerts, we've shared concerts, so I'm sure that uh, he is very up on this as well. Uh, They could offer that. I think it would be something, that's an idea, that's an idea to go to the business, uh, to go to the law department. because it's a very tricky area. And if you talk with lawyers and there are former students of mine who are now in the law field, and I plead with them, I said, please do you have any intellectual property background because I can get in trouble before I knew about covers and granting licenses. Uh, I'm working on a piece right now that for a non court, it's a very famous work, the, the famous pianist, Vladimir Horowitz used to improvise this. I don't know if he wrote it down, but I can tell you there are eight or nine different people who've taken the recording frame by frame and copied it out, his carbon variations. So, and some of the cadenzas are just wild and they're difficult and I can make them even more fun and more difficult and I have. So does that become, it's George Bizet who's long dead slash Horowitz slash Adler. Do I have the right to perform this? The answer is yes. And the programs get set into ASCAP or my and they apportion it. Do I have the right to record it? And I can tell you the answer is yes, but you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that, right? I guarantee it. So I think I'm going to use this as an encore and just use it live show, but the, but you need a business lawyer to, who knows intellectual property. And it's a very tricky, tricky area. Uh, there are people who do this. I know several uh, that are producers as well. And informally, I can go to them and say "Does this, Mac, does this ring true? Uh, Steven Sondheim. Steve wrote, as you remember, a very famous musical called, music drama, I'll call it, Sweeney Todd. And I've written him over the years. And he said, if I'm proud of something, send it to him. And I do send him. And he usually writes a very warm, lovely short typewritten but signed Steve letter. So I said, I wanna do sw- the ballad of Sweeney Todd. I wanna to do it as a killer solo. I guarantee you it'll be blood on the keys, mine. So I didn't know that I could have taken an adaptation and just done it and pay the uh, and pay the royalty. I went to him and he said, please contact Chapel Music, his publisher. And they said, well, are uh, you looking to write the version of this? I said, yeah. Yes, and I want to record it. That's the key thing. So they sent me to Hal Leonard who distributes the print rights and they charged I think something like 40-45 dollars. I said that's fine and granted the rights. I said but I have to know my lawyer said make sure you have the right to record it and their answer is we see nothing in our agreement that prevents you from doing this. I said fine. So I did record it the palace when you taught which you can find on uh, Spotify or anything else. Uh, you can find anything of mine. Uh, Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, it used to be iTunes, nobody goes there anymore. Uh, uh, any platform you can think of, the, I've been blessed with record labels that are very savvy and they know how to get it out there and it's out there. And occasionally I get a, a note from somebody in Japan saying I really like this, uh, like my Hoda, the Aaron Copeland hoedown from Rodeo. So I got a nice little note from somebody there. I said, good, I'm glad my music brings you joy. So uh, uh, did I answer your question fully enough for you?
2: No, yes, of course, Professor, yeah. No, that was great, thank you. You should have,
1: there there should be courses in the business of music Mm -hmm. and the arts and combine it with business law and marketing. You have
2: accounting too, you know, to get the, you know, the sense of financing when when you, uh, you know, create these deals. The you incur and the revenue that you incur.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing is it's also uh, they're, they're going to want licenses and money usually, and that's okay. And you've got to weigh that, but be careful. Uh, I've had students who want to do stretch DJ work and they want to create their own world and be careful on using music that's under copyright, that you need rights because those record labels watch it like a hawk. They have a legal team. That's, that's all they do is they watch on the internet and they come after you and pounce and you get a two or four hundred dollar bill for using something that's two minutes minute and a half, have two minutes three minutes uh, i got one of them uh, i created a company years ago i wanted to be able to pay for my london debut so i called it london debut enterprises and i produced a disco record for an affiliate of rca called butterfly disco i took madama butterfly madame butterfly and others and I set it to a rock beat, to a disco beat, and got an opera singer to just like punch out those high notes and all kinds of instruments. I had fun doing it. Next thing I know, I get a letter from the lawyer at London Records saying I am infringing on their trademark. They said, what will it cost to, for you basically to not exist? So I called my lawyer, then I said, what do you think? And they said, uh, hold out, hold out for X, Y, Z amount of bucks. I did hold up, I was gonna get $5,000 for a company that I'd had less than like seven, eight weeks. And then the lawyer called me up at home and he said, oh, so are you willing to settle? I said, well, talk to Terry, talk to my attorney. And then they said, well, what do you really want? I said, well, okay, it cost me about 2,500 bucks. Next thing I know he says, okay, we're gonna write you a check for $2,500, boom. The lawyer says, what did you just do? He said, I would have gotten you whatever. I said, can I be honest? It's a headache. I wanna go out and be able to do other things. I took the money. And then I thought, this is before the days of Facebook. I thought, well, London debut enterprise sounds nice. I said, I've got an idea. How about Xerox music company? (laughs) Don't try it. So you can, you have to be careful with the name. And and if you're using a name, and the students of mine will tell you this, that they're thinking of a name for the company and they'll go week after week. And I said, no, I'm not letting you out of this class. I am not giving you any grade. You will not earn a grade until I know the name that you come up with and that you've gone to City Hall, to the Protho Notary Office to make sure it exists. Because if it exists, ASCAP or BMI are not gonna license it. And if you don't have, a performing rights organization behind you, you are, quote, dead on the water. So that's the first thing. Uh, when I created the name of my company, which is Adler Oaks Music, so for James Adler, my husband is Scott Oaks, so that's where the Adler Oaks, he also engraves the music. We're partners uh, every which uh, way, 34 years, to, uh, 35 years together. Oops, I'm in trouble. So 35 years together, uh, 34 years to St. Peter's. So I went down to City Hall to make sure And there was an Oaks Music, and there's Adler, Jerry Adler Company, whatever, but there's no Adler, capital A, capital O. And then I registered it with ASCAP, and it's an ASCAP-affiliated publisher, so I'm licensed to do business. So did I pay for a big attorney to go down and do that? No, I went down to City Hall, sat out in the park, then went back and found it and got the information needed. So I say, you investigate it. Uh, A question that should be, uh, asked, should somebody incorporate? Should they incorporate? Yes. Or at least a limited liability company. You'd say yes, but look at the revenue and then look at where you live. In New York State, it is prohibitive But if you're in in the old days, we used to go to, if you would go to Chester, you'd go to Pennsylvania or someplace and you pay 45 bucks, you'd incorporate there but you can't do that in new york now
2: wait why? why 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 is it illegal or why is it restricted like in terms of
1: what because it's restricted as to new york recognizing it since i'm a new york business uh-huh. but you could theoretically if you're in new jersey i would tell you incorporate your business in jersey but an llc for music liability because is somebody going to sue you for a lousy arrangements? Probably not. You don't want your, you don't want a bad reputation. So you're going to want to redo it until your client is happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But incorporation, if um, you run the risk of dealing with a lot of different people and you want to, and it's somebody who wants to market a group and you want to go on the road and you want to do things like that, then I would say, yes, I think it's definitely worth the LLC. Um, uh, Or. In some cases, DBA doing business as and registering, which is also cool, but you have more protection when you're incorporated. There's no question about it. And the pop field, because of the kind of personalities there and the big bucks that they're looking for, I would say yes, I would advise them to do that. But first thing, you start with a dream. And you come up with a product and talk with a couple of your professors. Yes, you go to Mary Kay, you go, (laughs) Dr. Natsos, you go to Ruvalo, you come to an Adler, you go to a Commines, you find out people who are in the, and my colleague, uh, Professor uh, Hancovitz-Bach, was a conductor, composer, arranger, he knows this too. So you go to someone like this who knows the business. And because uh, so-and-so is a student, we probably already have a caring factor involved right now. And look after them And my role is to make sure that a student does not get hurt. And copyright, what about a copyright? Before you fill out that form, contact a professor. If you're at school, contact a professor who knows something about this. Because I warn people, the SR, the sound recording form, only protects the physical characteristics. The music itself is separate. And that's why I use, and most of my affiliated record labels, PC. So sound recording. uh, And uh, it means many, many different things. But the copyright is the music is the content itself. But you have to, as I'm holding up this, you have to copyright the, protect the the disc as well. Okay. And that's mechanical and synchronizations. And it's all confusing. And we all have to learn. I want to know more about Verite, this artist, and how she is Doing with this, but the kind of numbers I'm seeing right now, uh, the NFT is—it's uh, not quite like Bitcoin, but it's—it's uh, it's very, very interesting. And you understand about this? I have a feeling you probably do.
0: Uh, somewhat. From from what I understand, it's a le- it's a ledger using technology, basically d- demonstrating who has the ownership of some kind of digital property. So I guess in a way, it's it kind of goes. To, it corresponds with like the, the copyright and the, the, the ownership of certain products. I, I don't know where, like, I would assume you would still have to copyright a product or a trademark um, something.
1: I, I definitely would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely do that. First of all, I think you have to do that before you can get certain kinds of codes to be able to sell it. Uh, but here, she is the made history is the first artist to auction master recording rights in perpetuity for her single by now, lowercase by the way. Uh, It went on last week. This is quite, 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 people are talking about this, the business. She says, you get to choose your own adventure. You go as deep into the lake as you want. You can stay up at surface and enjoy the view. Uh, And it really cuts out. She defines herself as a career independent artist. And that really is for the independent artist who's looking to venture into the, what they would call the digital adventure, the digital landscape of NFT. And if we're talking those kind of numbers of a million monthly, that's mighty impressive. Mighty, mighty impressive. Uh, that's where to go. And CD Baby is the other way to market it, to self-market it in the beginning. And try to get gigs. If you're local in a certain area, once the age of COVID passes and we're able to get back in the coffee, houses and bars and groups, then you wanna be able to perform and try out in front of an audience because you need to test it and see reactions. And if a certain kind of a song gets a certain kind of response, then chances are a good agent is gonna say, this is your repertoire, build that because I can see it building an audience for you. It's about audience building. But an audience can go, a group or an artist can go and perform but you're dead in the water without digital or CD. Now we call it CD, but everything is digital. I mean, the hard copy disc sales are, are minimal, and we use uh, social media. My concert agent, anything that's important, he puts it right up there on Facebook and uh, on the, and on Twitter, because that's that's where you bring it out to the world. You can sell tickets to a show. I've, I've Uh, use Facebook as a a basis of doing a live stream or doing a concert and they can register, you can make money that way. So, and that's your own network, your social network of build it with friends and associates and build friendships that way. I think that's the way to go.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's great advice for people in the musical realm, the musical industry. Uh, I think the last question that we want to touch on today was what advice would you give anyone looking for their first job coming out of college or graduating within the next few weeks? You know, the job market isn't necessarily ideal right now. So from your experience, what advice would you give to these
1: people? The advice that I would give is advice I'm taking myself. Think outside the proverbial box. The old system of going to a publisher or going to a record label, I think is not way to approach it today. First thing is you're graduating school. If you're a composer or a songwriter and you've got something out there, shop it around. Shop it around. If you can get an artist, it may not be the most famous, but get it out there so it is heard and recorded. The other thing is when I say think outside the box, uh, my arts on Bergen recital in November couldn't be on campus. There was COVID all over the place. This is before any of us could get a vaccine. Uh, Now I'm fully vaxxed so I feel safe to (laughs) to go about the world. Uh, Anyway, the the, uh, thing is you stream it, you stream it live. So Dr. Legaspi put it up on the Arts on Bergen channel. I also made it available to some like uh, uh, contacts who are music critics and put it out there for them to be able to review it and talk about it and use streaming. You can record it, you can play it back. My own feeling is things can happen, it can get glitchy with sound and going off. I would recommend you record it and then if you need to edit it first and then put it out as a streaming basis. Uh, There's an audience for that. Don't charge a lot of money initially. I mean, I see, some organizations saying 50 bucks for uh for for right to stream something no that's that's you're not going to get a very large audience in the beginning that. make it affordable and if you're a college student make it available to your fellow students uh, i don't know if the school publications allow for that uh probably not to take an ad out to promote something product no i know when i have a record label I out I, a new product out I will generally write to uh, Peacock Press, the uh, editors there and say, could you put a link in and let people know this is under professional development and what a professor is doing. I know artists who do this as well. So use social media, that's the best possible advice Nick and Anthony that I could possibly tell you to do, uh, to get it out there that way and start with your friends and family and network and grow. And if you're a writer, shop it around. Get an artist who's interested in doing this, who might be singing and saying, hey, I've got a demo coming out. Uh, this is how you build. And don't think in terms of, oh, this is going to sell a million copies. That's the wrong way to go about it. I think at any point, frankly, <laughs> if it happens, hey, wonderful. But uh, that's the wrong way to go about putting uh, your best product out there.
0: Yeah, I think that was great advice. I think it's an excellent way to end the episode. I think you touched on a lot of topics. I learned a lot. I know Nick learned a lot. Nick,
2: I percent. Yeah, no, 100%, you know, know, echoing what Anthony said. Yes, yes, professor. Yes. And hopefully we see a transition, you know, with the collaboration between the art departments and law departments, even not just here at St. Peter's, just commonly around, you know, have this a mandatory course, make it a requirement for the major with contracts and uh, accounting and marketing. Maybe a I can join class, yeah.
1: I wish they would, I wish they would, because there's so much out there right now to make this part of con law, yeah. contract law or something. I really, really think you're wonderful. Yeah. If you have any contact with the law department, <laughs> feel free to give them my name. <laughs> Half course will travel.
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. And um, before we wrap up here, is there anything you wanna you know plug or, or promote? Uh, before we finish here?
1: Uh, I want to wish the class of 2020 last year who didn't get a chance to uh, walk or celebrate and class of 2021 much success and much joy. And the same thing, think outside the box because it's a new world. Uh, I don't know that we're going to be mask free totally. Mm -hmm. So uh, the good news though, Broadway is back. Yes. Last night I got a tip and we ordered tickets for a new show called Six. It's a new mm-hmm. show here, The Six Wives of Henry VIII, a musical, a rock musical. So they made it available through website, and I understand it's gonna be full capacity audience. I'll be playing um, a Yamaha artist, I'll be performing at Yamaha November 10th. Uh, and the head of it, just uh, director, Bonnie and I talked about this. I'll be live, the music will be live, it'll either be live streamed, or recorded, or broadcast, or with audience. And I just said, I'm easy. I just want to get back to music and performing. Uh, And then next March, I'll be performing uh, as piano soloist, Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto with Quo Orchestra here in New York. So uh, uh, things are good. And they're getting better. Getting better, yes. (laughs) Stay healthy, everybody.
0: (laughs) Definitely are. Thank you for coming on yet again. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. Nick
0: and I are not certified financial professionals. This podcast is for educational uses only. It should not be used as the basis to buy or sell a security, nor is it the offer to buy or sell a security.